Please listen carefully. Welcome to the Rick and Dodd Show. Two dudes, a podcast, and some laughs. Prepare to be underwhelmed. And away we go. So I, I brewed a deck that's harder to play in modern, or I brewed a modern deck that's harder to fucking play than pod. Okay. <laughs> um, I uh, fucking put together, Justin and I were brewing a little bit um, because I saw how garbage modern kind of looks right now. Mm-hmm. Um, any format where like young pyromancer, look, as I say this, and I love these cards. Any format where like young pyromancer and like lingering souls are A in the same deck and B like super competitive and dominant. <laughs> yeah, like it's probably not good. So I'm like, well, if that could fucking pass for a deck, let's see what we can just fucking put together. So I was, I've been putting together a reanimator list that doesn't use uh, Goyo's Vengeance, mm-hmm. and uh, that deck, it's almost to the point where like it can start functioning properly. But fuck, the lines of play on that deck are so fucking convoluted. Yeah, it's so, it's so, it's like I remember playing it and I was just like, Jesus, this is worse than playing Bod. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's similar to like what I've been playing in Legacy, where I've basically been playing Turbo Depths. Um, mm-hmm. But then just with all the different types of mana acceleration and things like that and multiple ways to be able to to go off, um, it ends up being where it's like, can I go, can I, you know, go off turn one, turn two, depending on like pedals and Elvish Spirit Guides and stuff like that. And so there's other times where like I just goldfish the damn thing so many times just to see like like in this situation how many different things can you do because it's not really uh, that super interactive um, and just seeing kind of like being able to, to do like the – the mental arithmetic to figure it out uh similar to you know like a storm player or something uh as opposed to actually interacting with things and attacking with creatures and stuff that everybody else uh, or that you know wizards <laughs> wants everybody to be doing yeah i um yeah so i don't know how to feel i honestly like well i'll i'll probably keep tinkering with it um I'm trying. I'm trying real fucking hard to get that figured out. Um, but any deck that plays as a charm as a four of, and it's arguably the best card, probably isn't that great. Yeah. But <laughs> but I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird list. You know, I'll have to actually take a picture of it and send it to you. Nice. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> Speaking of uh, magic, last week I I did catch some of the M nineteen. Uh, pre-releases um my mm-hmm. parents were in town so we were doing stuff during the week but i did end up going to a midnight friday one um and i don't know if it was if it was midnight the fact that it's a corset or uh something else but it was you know the worst pool i probably could have opened for like a standard experience um there was you know absolutely zero interact i think i had one uh card that qualified for like interaction or removal um and then all the other things were just like super uh super just unfun um i've played in two m19 events so far and so far i think like there's like a four five for four and a green uh that i probably opened 12 of um so it's been an well could have been one in every pack but i probably i think i opened 10 of so one or 10 out of 12 packs um that event in and of itself is, is not very interesting uh but what was interesting was the being able to listen to uh, the a podcast that had a topic that was very similar to ours, um, going to and from the uh, uh, the card shop uh, last week, um, and that was uh, kind of the the rebranding and relaunch of Cedric Phillips's podcast, um, mm-hmm. where they covered the uh, 
basically their re-entry into uh, <laughs> WWE and all, all the superstars there. Um, earlier in the week, I cut our last episode um, and got it, published <laughs> it, and then conveniently forgot to send you the link so you could listen to it before uh, we posted it, um, just since managing multiple things. Um mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I got to get back to it. Got to get back to it. Got to get back to it. And then I just never did, but I cut it enough to know like what was where and the topics we hit and, uh, how basically your Bobby Lashley impression, um, and, uh, all the, all the other talk from there. And then, so I start listening to this as, as I'm starting to drive out to, to Oak park at, at around 11 o'clock on a Friday night. Um, and it's amazing where, all the spots that they're hitting on pretty much every every wrestler are the same exact spots that we hit in our last episode. Um, and it was just, it was hilarious because then like they start talking about Bobby. Um, but instead of calling him Bobby Lashley, they just keep calling him Bob, uh, which is what Roman calls him. Um, but the entire time they're talking about Bobby Lashley, all I heard was your Bobby Lashley impression in my head the entire time. Um and then, uh, like you said, when once you did listen to it, like a lot of the Seth Rollins uh, conversation was was spot on, and, and pretty much, uh, you know, uh, the Venn diagram didn't leave much in the uh, the two separate circles. <laughs> um, and so that, that was just it was very interesting where I was like doing like an audible double take, uh, where like I cut our episode, stepped away for a couple of days, listened to that one, and then I went back and like listened to ours to prove it before I could post it, and it was like. Yeah, it's awesome that like these things are very much on topic so that it's we're not just complete full of bullshit. And it seems like we're actually (laughs) enjoying what we're talking about and having fun and kind of being in the same area. Yeah, no, that was when I listened to that. I just couldn't help but laugh. Like I was listening. I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, well, they know they're wrestling. Like, that was actually really funny. (laughs) And of course, the whole fucking uh, the Bob (laughs) <laughs> I think the thing that they, I think the one place we differ, differ a little bit, um, you like Braun Strowman, they like Braun Strowman, I'm still kind of like, I like Braun Strowman, but like, I'm not, I'm not in like with Braun Strowman, and, um, you know, I really wish you would stop carrying my school books every monday <laughs> every monday night um no it's like but it, i think that comes from the fact that they honestly don't know what to do with them but it was pretty much like the only small difference and it's not even like a large one instead of both of the both of the two people in the conversation really liking Braun Strowman, it was just like one kind of liking them and then one really liking them yeah <laughs> As a and I mean everybody's kind of uh, spot on with the the anti Lesnar <laughs> stuff going now, so yep. it just kind of they have this problem. They being WWE have this problem um, where they're trying to push the next big guy, but you still have this elephant in the room that they don't want to do anything with. Um, and when I was re-listening to the last episode, like the the bit about uh, that you have for uh, Strowman going to Lesnar's house uh, <laughs> and and meeting him there, uh, I. I had to pause it because I started laughing so hard. Like I forgot or I lost track of where I was when I was editing. <laughs> yeah. Just sitting at the, sitting at the, there were a couple points. I actually, um, it's weird because it's like, whatever I say to me is always funny. Right. So like, that's why I say it because it amuses me, but like, it's always weird why I can never tell if I'm like actually funny or if like, I'm just saying stuff that I like, I was like, yeah, like I'm my fucking perfect audience. Right. 
where it's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, what is that, FUBU yep. uh, for us, by us. But, you know, instead of, you know, I guess, OK clothing, it's like fart and dick jokes. So, like, <laughs> you know, in my mind, I'm fucking, you know. The, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a laugh riot. Yeah. <laughs> on the heels or not. What's the opposite of heels? Uh, palms, I guess, if you're going the opposite <laughs> end of the body. Um the you know coming up this week on extreme rules and uh it's interesting that i saw a couple i i subscribe to youtube channels i don't know when they started notifying me of alerts <laughs> either on my phone or on my desktop or there's somebody just walking around walking out of a store yelling hey there's a youtube update for you um and so i saw a couple this week for <laughs> that would be great you're just like sitting there buying your shame snacks and some guys like hey by the way uh, there's an update for that one uh, gameplay channel that you watched one time in, in 2013 while you were trying to get a walkthrough of Final Fantasy VIII. Exactly. <laughs> and apparently I watched some wrestling videos and now all the wrestling channels send me like alerts for when they post new videos. Um, but uh, then uh, apparently like some of the results uh, or the planned matches for this weekend's extreme rules got, uh, got released or leaked. Um, I haven't dug into those just to see. So I'll, I, I want to bring them up just so I can see what they do and then kind of see how uh, they play out and map and if it's actually going to happen versus not and everything. So um, I don't have high hopes for this event. Um, the only, <laughs> uh, the only one that I think is going to pique my interest is probably going to be uh, the Seth Seth, yeah, the Seth Dolph, uh, since you can't say that really easily, um, Iron Man match, since I was a huge fan of the uh, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Iron Man match growing up. Um, so, I mean, that's the, the main match I have an interest in for Extreme Rules. The rest of them are just kind of map, but we'll see how they go. Uh, but I'm interested to see if like some of those, uh, the, the leaks are actually sticking to it or not. Yeah, no, I was going to say any event where uh, there's a shark cage, any pay-per-view where there's a shark cage being suspended above the ring for one of the kind of marquee matches, it's probably not going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm like James Ellsworth in a cage, and I'm like, well, this is this is going to be fun. Well, yeah, especially with and, uh, James Ellsworth being in said cage. Right, right. I um. Oh yeah, like no. So I uh, I opened the blinds to get a little bit of this natural light in, and uh, man, my neighbors are nosy. I'm sitting here, <laughs> you know, I'm just sitting here. Well, I've got the mic stand right. I don't have. I'm waiting on my studio headphones to come in. I don't have the soundproofing up yet in this little corner. Um, I haven't figured out a way to put it up. But like I'm sitting here, I've got a huge mic stand with a fucking mic. You know, they're like, I'm obviously in front of a computer and like, I guarantee they're like, oh, what are he's doing? Like low key, like they're trying to be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, they're, uh, oh, they're, uh, we're walking our dog. But I'm like, y'all's necks are craned up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not looking where your dog's pooping all over the place. Yeah, mm. definitely uh, trying to peek in. You'll get a better look if you just come up closer to the window. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's this is what's crazy too. It's like it's it's the room's higher, so like the the bedrooms on the you know um, break the illusion that we're not in the same room in a studio. But like my bedroom's upstairs, so like um, which is where I do all my podcasting uh, because I don't even know where I would put it. Like if I were to put a studio in like anywhere in here, 
I would have to live by myself and then do it in like the second bedroom's walk-in closet. Mm -hmm. And that's basically where it would just be. But why would I do that? That's small. I don't want to spend my whole life in the closet. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's where your games are. So you spend (laughs) enough time playing games in there already. Um, Well, so (laughs) what's funny is that, so I had a, I actually had to rip out the, the, so there's not actually an outlet in there. I had to basically like run an extension cord with a power strip in there. Except when I got the arcade machine, I had to rip out, rip that out. I haven't replaced them yet. <laughs> Which is a, so, a good segue into uh, what uh, something I actually didn't tell you about last week um, mm-hmm. that I was super excited about, um, which I was able to get my hands on not just one, but both of the NES Classic and the SNES Classic. Um, and so uh, I don't know how, like I woke up to some sort of notif- notification, so I, I can't be completely upset that, you know, YouTube's pushing it out. Um, so there, there was somebody else that sent me a useful notification um, that they were in stock at Best Buy. So I think I ended up getting the SNE or the NES Classic at Best Buy. And then we were just out running around uh, last week before uh, the holiday. And we made a pit stop at Target just to kill some time. And walking around, I was like, oh, let me just go check and see if they have it. And I saw that they, because I knew like the stores were getting the NES Classic back in. And just walking around, checking it out, and turned the corner. And, oh, they have an SNES Classic. So I was like, Amanda, go get the person. I'm not I'm not leaving. Um, this this one's mine. Um, <laughs> and so uh, was able to, I we picked up that one uh, last Tuesday and then we got the NES Classic delivered on Friday. So uh, it was definitely uh, some some fun days of playing both uh, um, going back and, and playing some Super Mario World. Uh, I think it's yeah, it's. Super or Street Fighter Two Turbo um, on the SNES Classic. <laughs> um, again, trying to figure out which name that was. Um, so went in there, played some of that uh, F Zero, which when I played it mm-hmm. as like you know like my ten year old self, uh, I couldn't play for shit. Um, but then and I now you can. Yeah, now, now I can actually understand what's going on and have some strategy. Uh, playing some uh, Super Mario World um, and uh, playing. Uh, getting Yoshi and, and getting to have that fun again while Ollie's jumping on my chest and my face. So I'm trying to play while like craning my neck around him while also like trying to not yet let Yoshi run away. So that's been fun. Um, <laughs> uh, and then we haven't fired up the NES classic yet, uh, but I'm super uh, stoked for excite bike on that one. Cause that was one game where oh. uh, all of the normal tracks I love and then just building your own tracks were one of my favorite pastimes. You can, um, so they did not, the only thing they literally changed was between version one and version two, technically, is uh, the box art. They moved this Nintendo seal and they branded the power adapter. Uh, So you can actually still mod that and it's actually pretty easy. So if you want uh, suggestions for games, um, I can tell you what games would be really fun, uh, what two-player games that are worth having on there so you could play um, when you have folks over and that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. Uh, The big question is, did you bother to play Star Fox 2? I haven't yet. That's that's been the one I want to. Like, I I just haven't gotten into it. That was one where I I wanted to sit down and actually pay attention to it because all the other ones, it was like, how can I channel something from 25 years ago and not really give a shit about how bad I am at playing it? Whereas like if I'd wanted to play star Fox two, like that's one where I'd want to jump in and actually try to play it like an actual game. Um, but, uh, it wasn't one that I uh, had fired up yet, but, uh, maybe this weekend, depending on how much downtime we have before packing. (laughs) 
I, uh, yeah, so I've gotten a ton of, uh, yeah, this is just a weird, uh, ton of, ton of games I've gotten. Um, I think, uh, I got, I picked up Thimbleweed Park, my limited run copy of that finally came. I'm probably one of the few people that actually just, I like physical media. And so when limited run does a version of like a digital only game that I would kind of be interested in checking out, I go and I'll buy it. And you're not supposed to open them because there's only fucking, you know, X amount of copies of the mm-hmm. game in existence. But I open them because fuck it. It's mine. It was my $30 or $40 or whatever. I'm going to do what I want. Exactly. Like, I mean, and, and, and the thing is, it's like I open it up. I put the little trading card and the proof of purchase in there. You know, I play it for a little bit and I decide whether or not I get bored and but do it. But um, and the limited run for the switch has been nailing it lately. Um, there was Simple Weed Park. There were a couple other decent games. I got Saturday Morning RPG, which if you were trying to find a physical copy of that on the Vita, good luck. Um, that game went for, I think at one point, was up at like $220 for a physical copy, um, oh, which wow. is way, way too much for an indie developed game that you could buy for $2. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did they did the, uh, they did a, a order of that uh which I was able to order and I've got Night Trap coming finally and uh so I finally like the fact that now I know about limited run and I know how the releases go so I can actually get in a little bit if it's something not super super Jesus super popular um well, I mean that, that makes sense if just it has like the set. two words together yeah cut out extra syllables and <laughs> Yep, you know, double double plus good. So, um, yeah, like, if it's not a uh, super pop, if it's going to be something that's going to be really popular, they end up they end up switching it to basically screw over scalpers. Uh, they switched it from a set number to a um, pre-order. So how many orders they'll have, they'll make that plus 10%. And generally, the numbers are about the same, but it discourages scalpers because there's no way for a scalper to profit off of buying a regular copy of the game. Mm-hmm. So, like for Night Trap, it was I was able to get it because it did a pre-order, um, the collector's edition, which I kind of didn't want, but I did buy my Dana Plato Night Trap trading cards. Oh, nice! Uh, <laughs> which are going to be used as tokens, um, and. You know, that w- that sold out in three minutes, but there were only 3,000 copies of that specific version. But I was able to get it for the for uh, Night Trap, just like I was able to get it for Thimbleweed Park and Saturday Morning RPG. The people that want the game were able to get it, and they still retain a decent value because there's still a limited amount of them, which is pretty cool. Um, and my copy of Ace, one of those games that I ordered, Ace of Seafood, uh, which you're fish. And you choose your fish, and you shoot lasers at other fish that shoot lasers at you. Um. Yeah, that's what I, I that wasn't sure I, when I, you uh, put that one in the chat. I wasn't sure if that wasn't like an actual fishing game or it was one where like pending your move to Japan, like it was like a Japanese game where you're like a sushi or sashimi chef <laughs> and you have to like cut the fish somehow or whatever. Um, but uh, the the fact that you're, you're fish with uh, lasers attached to you, I, I guess that's even better. No, they come from within. It looks it's terrible. Oh, OK, it doesn't better. play great. Yeah, but I think it was like I think it was like twenty five bucks or whatever, and I was like, oh god, I, I'm like I have to own this, and there's only and I could say there's only three thousand copies of that in the world. So whenever you know 
wherever my uh, game collection, my downsized game collection ends up, uh, that's going to be a fucking hilarious thing for if, you know, if it ends up over here in Japan, either way, we're probably, I'm probably getting nuked to death. And when the aliens come, they're going to sit there and be like, all these weird games. Did you know they're fish shot lasers? Just while they're trying to figure out the fucking Super Street Fighter, the yeah. Street Fighter naming series. <laughs> what a strange world. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, uh, getting back to what we had uh, kind of alluded to last year, or last year, shit. Yeah, I, I'm completely <laughs> out of it. Yeah, that's how long it's been since we, we recorded, or at least that's how long it feels like we recorded. Um, so, uh, so yeah, getting back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, as far as the next, uh, uh, the next topic we wanted to do, but, uh, I wanted to do a, a personality test, uh, analysis, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess it's personality test, um, that I've come into just more association with, uh, since I'd say January, um, I, I talked about hard camp uh, a little bit before, uh, and then just this is something where a lot of the people in there have done it uh, or taken the test. I've taken it since then, um, and it's something where uh, the more I think about it, the more spot on it is. Um, so we we talked before. Uh, you had mentioned Myers Briggs. I've taken that multiple times, and I keep thinking I get like different answers for all of them. Um, and you you did take that one, and you said you what were your results for Myers Briggs? Um, I am an INFPT. Okay, which is um, the mediator, which which sounds about right. I mean, that's the the personality that uh, I would I would ex- expect for you out, out of that one. Um, I forget most of the my results, but I know I always end up like teetering on the I and the E, um, and so that's where it's back and forth for the introvert extrovert one for me. Um, but I think I'm usually like I. NFJ maybe um I think that sounds about right but then that's one where uh with a lot of these personality tests it's always like the 80 20 rule for like 80 percent of the people it works and then for 20 percent like it's just way off um whereas that's like me for Myers-Briggs but for this other one it's pretty spot on whereas like for other friends like I've had like every time they just get different ones based on the test the re- the recent versions of it stuff like that um so this test is called the Enneagram um and I don't know if you, you probably haven't heard about it, um, but it's something – it's been around for a while. Um, it's kind of had a, a bunch of different names. Um, the book that I have here was actually copyright. It's copyrighted in 2000, but then it, it was even – it was in the late 80s. I think it kind of came to, to popularity um, because a lot of the first sets of information about it was distributed on cassette tapes. Um, <laughs> so that that's where a lot of the people uh, first were introduced to it. Um, and then it came out of uh, – out of Stanford, a lot of people have published some stuff, uh, and then it's just picked up pace since then. Um, but it, it breaks things down into nine personality types. Uh, there's multiple subtypes, or there's three subtypes uh, beyond that, but they just breaks them down into um, multiple subtypes, numbered one through nine, um, and they all have different personalities, and they they kind of coarsely map back to like different or more some of the more popular like Myers-Briggs uh uh archetypes um but these these nine types here are are pretty spot on um and so that's what everybody who's really familiar with it um ends up being something where you just relate to yourself or you refer to yourself as that number um and uh so I 
taking the test, taking multiple tests, uh, I come out as a two, uh, as my, my major type. And there's like other variations of it. You have this like subtype or a wing and, and other things where that's further, further down the line. And for our listeners that want to jump into it, I'll put some links in there so you can take the test yourself. Um, you can obviously test yourself here once, uh, when we, we do some of this. Um, but then there's online resources and stuff like that. Um, but it, it's an interesting way to kind of see like once you start figuring it out. Um, so what I wanted to do was run through the book that I have here, um, which is, uh, just going through, uh, nine quick paragraphs. And then the easiest way to do it is just kind of rank them in order as we go, as far as which one most applies to you. Um, Mm -hmm. and then there's like a key that says like, yeah, based on this ranking, you're, you're this number. Um, and then we'll just go through that number. Um, so the, the book that I have was one where I was going to see what was the last movie I saw? I don't remember now. So that's makes for excellent, uh, recall. Um, it was one of the, was it infinity war? Yeah, I think it was infinity war. Um, because I went, I went and saw it and I was sitting up front. So near the theater we have here, there's a used bookstore. Um, and whenever I go to therapy, it's, I always be like, Oh, I should come early next time and go here. That never happens. So I was able to actually go early to see Infinity War, and I was like, oh, I'll kill time at the bookstore. So there really wasn't much there, so I turned to walk out, and at the end of one of the book aisles was this book on the Enneagram. And we had just been talking with a, a bunch of friends about it. I was like, okay, so I, I should get this just make it worth it. So I go take it up front and it's $2. So that was the most serendipitous $2 that I'd ever spent. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's what flipping through it. And then like, I've, I've scanned this and then like, I've, I've messaged uh, people, um, a lot of this, a lot of the, the phrases or the paragraphs here to, to do the test there that they've been either, um, you know, big Myers Briggs fans or, uh, big fans of, um, one of the kind of proponents of the Enneagram, uh, a Franciscan friar called Richard Rohr, um, who, uh, I'm, I kind of talked to some other friends about, uh, I've read some of his books, uh, and they're big fans of the Enneagram too. So we've kind of been bonding over that, but, um, I figured it would be interesting for, to kind of go through this here and then have you, uh, based on a lot of the conversation and a lot of the, uh, you know, the almost two, well, obviously at episode 47 now, uh, much more than two complete days of uh, conversation that we've recorded and published now, um, and seeing personality types there to see kind of what would come out, uh, and how that would map to, uh, the, uh, what the Enneagram says. So, uh, that was, that was my plan to, to go through. Yeah. Here. Heck yeah. I got a word document open so I can, if I need to keep track of stuff, I can, or excuse me, open office. Cause fuck paying for word. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, my, my roommate was like, uh, my roommate got a new computer and was like, I need to put on word. I'm like, dude, just use open office. It's free as you just download it. It's, it looks exactly like the word processing software that we use in eighth grade. It's fantastic. Exactly. That and, or just Google docs <laughs> or whatever. I mean, yeah. uh, if you don't want, you know, big Google, uh, knowing what exactly you're typing word for word, <laughs> then, uh, I can understand, you know, using something downloaded, but, uh, Google docs is, is just as awesome there. <laughs> so yeah so anyway like uh my roommate was like can you help me with you know try to figure out some bill stuff i was like yeah i'll help you dude and uh <laughs> we're going through it i'm like why do you have a subscription to office i'm like you don't you don't you don't need this but how will i type there's free things yeah. Use them. <laughs> uh the only reason now like i i actually had um 
so I, I've got Office 365 at home, and I forget why I got it. I think I had it because I needed to do something on my PC that was very specific to PowerPoint. And for, for just word processing, it's fine to use whatever. Um, but PowerPoint is very fickle between mm-hmm. like transporting, like between the open yep. formats and then getting in there. So I just don't want to deal with it. So I got a 365 subscription and then I was about to cancel it. And I realized with the 365 subscription, you get one terabyte of OneDrive um, with that. Uh, and based on me having, you know, a 10 gig Dropbox uh, account for the past, 12 years uh, and then paying $2 a month for um, Google drive, getting a hundred or a hundred gig um, paying essentially 70 bucks for the year for a terabyte of OneDrive plus uh, Microsoft office. Like that for me is just flipping the script where like, Oh, now I'm just getting office as a, a you know, a throw in as opposed to um, as opposed to just paying for the software. And so that's where like, it's like, Oh, I need to save this. Fuck it. Throw it on OneDrive. I got to back up all of our uh, episodes that were uh, the raw footage of our episodes. Fuck it. Throw it on OneDrive. There's like 300 gig of like our just raw recordings <laughs> on OneDrive. Um, so now that's where I'm like, I, I like I'm totally a, a sucker for that like lost leader plan where it's like, yeah, like uh, just just throw in OneDrive for it and see see if they want to stick to it. So now I'm like, yeah, I'm already there. I've got all my shit there. I'm not going to go anywhere. So I'll, I'll just keep paying for office and not worry about it. So that's a. Uh, <laughs> That's the kind of predicament that I'm in, or the sort of Stockholm syndrome they gave me. But uh, at the moment, I'll uh, I'll allow it. Yes, I um, yes, no, which is good. I actually think uh, one of the things we need to do is we need to uh, just put all of our plugs together so we can just plug them at the end of episodes. Yeah, because now, um, you know, I will. Well, I, I'm actually really excited to do this this personality thing here. Um, but before I forget, I've actually so I'm I've already booked a room. I will be attending Southeast uh, Game Exchange in South Carolina. So if by some miracle anyone who listens to us is going to be there, just um, I'm a guest. I'm not a – I don't have a panel uh, this year. I tried to weasel my way into one, but um didn't work out too well. And uh, so just come say hi. I'll be uh, probably just wandering around, touching stuff, if anybody that happens. We do talk a lot about gaming and wrestling and stuff, so – I don't know. There could be some some uh, some overlap. Well, that's what I'm interested in, kind of uh, tangentially. While before we circle back to the Enneagram, um, the I'll be heading out to San Diego next week for Comic Con, um, and mm-hmm. being in Chicago with the the local cons that I've gone to here, Chicago just has a, a huge wrestling. Uh, it just it's a part of the you know Chicago blood. Um, and so a lot of the cons here have uh, a lot of Chicago, or wrestling panels and stuff like that. Um, but this year I actually saw like a, a number of other wrestling um, panels that were both mainstream and kind of uh, independent um, added to the San Diego side um, for both having uh, a number of key superstars at the WWE Mattel panel, um, which I'm hoping to attend. And I, uh, I will, uh, that one I, I will take copious notes on um, and try to get uh, get into that and, and bring back for, uh, some good sound bites. Um, but then there's other ones as far as like overlapping superheroes and wrestling and, and some of this stuff. So, uh, I'm surprised at the amount of, uh, wrestling content that got into San Diego this year, where in the past years, I haven't really noticed it. So, um, that, that's a kind of an interesting twist that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it's, um, it's really, it's becoming a nerdum, uh, a nerdum that's becoming a bit more accepted mm-hmm. um because in all actuality all it is is just 
kind of like a it's, it's becoming more normalized i should say um within pop culture um because all it is is kind of just sort of like a male soap opera like you know it's 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 a mix between like a, a version of like a male soap opera or a, a soap opera with mostly men and then um like passion plays or morality plays that's mm-hmm. all they are like that's literally like i'm a sucker for that kind of stuff because that kind of entertainment i don't have to think it's like uh mac it's 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 like macaroni it's like meatloaf for my soul when i see that because i don't have to think right it's a universe where violence can solve all of your problems and the good guy always wins in the end and the bad guy always loses like that's simple that is easy to understand you can eat it and consume it whenever and it's going to be good and it's going to remind you of a time when you were younger it's like and i think that's why it's because we've sort of been culturally at least in america been more accepting and been really obsessed honestly with this idea of nostalgia i know Mm -hmm. we talk about it sometimes we've talked about that um but it, I think it's because of as the world gets more and more bleak. I was actually looking through some Reddit comments and uh, <laughs> I was sitting there. And it's like in the last two, I honestly think we might be in an alternate timeline because in the last two years, Trump won the presidency. The Cubs won the World Series and a 16 seed beat a one seed in the NCAA. So I literally went saying I'm never going to see anything exciting or different happen in my life. And then two years, I'm like, this is too much, too fast. Yeah. Just, <laughs> where, just show me a payphone, like, <laughs> you know, I want my blockbuster back. Um, but yes. Um, speaking of this, uh, maybe maybe this person uh, here's our segue. Boom. Yeah, Boom. I think that, that that'll uh, end up having a uh, a big interest <laughs> or a big piece of being able to to show that. Um, all right, so let's yeah. jump in here. The so there's there's let me jump back here there's nine paragraphs the well let me just credit the book here so the book i'm reading is the essential enneagram i'll uh, i'll link to i guess whatever amazon page since it does have an isbn number i don't know if there's still actual copies of it since like i said it's from the year 2000 um but it's still kind of relevant i'll link to some of the other tests as well uh by david daniels md and virginia price phd um and it, it's pretty well written. Uh, depending on where uh, where you end up, we'll we'll go through some of the other sections uh, and figure it out. Um, but there's, uh, like I said, there's nine paragraphs. Uh, I'll attempt to read them here. If uh, if I cannot get through them, I'll uh, um, you know middle school reading class um, and reading out loud. I will uh, re-record and edit that in um, uh, instead of uh, fat tonguing it here. But we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, and then they're they're kind of long. Uh, so I'll pause in between so you can kind of uh, uh, consume or, or think it over uh, and then we'll we'll keep going. And uh, just as a heads up, these are not uh, – they're labeled A through I, um, but they're not uh, in the same order as 1 through 9. So don't try to, to game the system there, uh, even though you don't know what the numbers mean at this point. So it doesn't really matter. Uh, anyway. Uh, starting off, so this is paragraph A, uh, and what you're doing is, again, just ranking these approaches that some may be close to you, close to each other, but there should be some that kind of stand out. So just, you know, pick the the, the couple that, um, that are, are most appropriate. I approach mm-hmm. things in an all or nothing way, especially issues that matter to me. I place a lot of value on being strong, honest, and dependable. What you see is what you get. 
I don't trust others until they have proven themselves to be reliable. I like people to be direct with me, and I know when someone is being devious, lying, or trying to manipulate me. I have a hard time tolerating weakness in people unless I understand the reason for their weakness or I see that they're trying to do something about it. I also have a hard time following orders or direction if I do not respect or agree with the person in authority. I am much better at taking charge of myself. I find it difficult not to display my feelings when I am angry. I am always ready to stick up for friends or loved ones, especially if I think they are being treated unjustly. I may not win every battle with others, but they, they'll they know I've been there. So that's A. Okay. For B. I have high internal standards for correctness, and I expect myself to live up to those standards. It's easy for me to see what's wrong with things, as they are. That was bad reading. It's easy for me to see what's wrong with things as they are, and to see how they could be improved. I may come across to some people as overly critical or demanding perfection, but it's hard for me to ignore or accept things that are not done the right way. I pride myself on the fact that if I'm responsible for doing something, you can be sure I'll do it right. I sometimes have feelings of resentment when people don't try to do things properly, or when people act irresponsibly or unfairly, although I usually try not to show it to them openly. For me, it is usually work before pleasure, and I suppress my desires as necessary to get the work done. I also probably could have put on my glasses before reading this, since I am <laughs> certifiably now old, um, since I have glasses and I can play in the old men's hockey leagues now that I'm over 35. So let me pause. Oh, shit. I can't wait to find my rec basketball league in Japan. Because I'm always going to play center, and it's going to be great. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh, bad. Now this is this is definitely a little bit clearer. Um, yeah, so I, I'm slowly falling apart, but uh, the eyes were the first to go. Um, <laughs> okay, so paragraph C. I seem to be able to see all points of view pretty easily. I may even appear indecisive at times because I can see advantages and disadvantages on all sides. The ability to see all sides makes me good at helping people resolve their differences. This same ability can sometimes lead me to be more aware of other people's positions and agendas and personal priorities than my own. It is not unusual for me to become distracted and then get off task on the important things I'm trying to do. When that happens, my attention is often diverted to unimportant, trivial tasks. I have a hard time knowing what is really important to me, and I avoid conflict by going along with what others want. People tend to consider me to be easygoing, pleasing, and agreeable. It takes a lot to get me to the point of showing my anger directly at someone. I like life to be comfortable, harmonious, and others to be accepting of me. So I have to if I have to pick the one that's the I'm the most like. So yeah, so there's okay. we're a third of the way through. So what okay. I did, the um the way this has it is it basically has pick your top three. Um, the okay. way I did it when I ran through it for, for myself and kind of told everybody else is just rank them in relation to each other. Um, so if you have one that's like definitely not yes, or, you know, definitely maybe definitely not like just kind of rank them that way. And then we can, we can circle back on all of them. Um, since this is a weird way of doing it. Um, but then I'll, you can do some of the links online and see how that, uh, kind of correlates as well. Okay, uh, let's see. So I guess we since we did the first three there. Um, I see parts of myself in A. Um, so I got to assign that as... So, okay. One, two, three. 
There's nine total, correct? Yep. Okay. All right. And then I can just I can assign each one a, a, spa, a spot ranking, and then we could go with the top three from there. Yep, that'll work. Okay. Um, and so some of them may be like – there's also like a, some of this where it's like through the test, if you – selected in the test to be this number um you know 85 percent of the people are actually that but then like 10 percent of the people are actually this so that usually tends to bleed into your second and third choices and stuff like that so um we can figure that out then um so okay d i am sensitive to other people's feelings i can see what they need even when i don't even when i don't know them Sometimes it's frustrating to be so aware of people's needs, especially their pain or unhappiness, because I'm not able to do as much for them as I'd like to. It's easy for me to give of myself. I sometimes wish I were better at saying no, because I end up putting more energy into caring for others than into taking care of myself. It hurts my feelings if people think I'm trying to manipulate or control them when all I'm trying to do is understand and help them. I like to be seen as a warm-hearted and good person, but when I'm not taken into account or appreciated, I can become very emotional or even demanding. Good relationships mean a great deal to me, and I'm willing to work hard to make that happen. Okay. E. Being the best at what I do is a strong motivator for me. I have received a lot of recognition over the years for my accomplishments. I get a lot done, and I'm successful in almost everything I take on. I identify strongly with what I do because, to a large degree, I think your value is based on what you accomplish and the recognition you get for it. I always have more to do than will fit into the time available, so I often set aside feelings and self-reflection in order to get things done. Because there's always something to do, I find it hard to just sit and do nothing. I get impatient with people who don't use my time well. Sometimes I would rather just take over a project someone is completing too slowly. I feel I like to feel and appear on top of any situation. While I like to compete, I am also a good team player. Okay. That was E. E. Okay. Yeah. All right. So next up is F. Mm -hmm. I would characterize myself as a quiet, analytical person who needs more time alone than most people do. I usually prefer to observe what is going on rather than be involved in the middle of it. I don't like people to place too many demands on me or to expect me to know and report what I am feeling. I'm able to get in touch with my feelings better when alone than with others. And I often enjoy experiences I've had more when reliving them than when actually going through them. I'm almost never bored when alone because I have an active mental life. It is important for me to protect my time and energy and hence to live a simple, uncomplicated life and be as self-sufficient as possible. Okay, give me one second. Bro. Okay. Oh, oh. I should have did this in a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's the real point. Here's the real test. All right. So we did F. So we're on G. Yes. We're at G next. Oh, all right. So my alphabet seven for two or seven, seven out of nine so far. It's exciting. Um, and these last three are three of the longer ones. So, uh, they will take a little bit longer to read. Uh, they're probably about as long as A, where the, the last couple have been pretty short. Um, so, yeah, so this is G. And it's interesting for me as I read these to apply them to you as well. So it, I'll be interested to see what you what you ended up mm -hmm. coming out as. I have a vivid imagination, especially when it comes to what, what might be threatening to safety and security. I can usually spot what could be dangerous or harmful and make experiences 
and they experience as much fear as if it were really happening. I either always avoid danger or always challenge it head on. My imagination leads to my ingenuity and a good, if somewhat offbeat, sense of humor. I would like life to be more certain, but in general, I seem to doubt the people and things around me. I can usually see the shortcomings in the view someone is putting forward. I suppose that, as a consequence, some people may consider me to be very astute. I tend to be suspicious of authority, and I'm not particularly comfortable being seen as the authority. Because I can see what is wrong with the generally held view of things, I tend to identify with underdog causes. Once I have committed myself to a person or cause, I am very loyal to it. All right. So we got eight. Is this H? H is up next. Oh, okay. That MFA is paying off. I am an optimistic person (laughs) who enjoys coming up with new and interesting things to do. I have a very active mind that quickly moves back and forth between ideas. I like to get a global picture of how all these ideas fit together, and I get excited when I can connect concepts that initially don't appear to be related. I like to work on things that interest me, and I have a lot of energy to devote to them. I have a hard time sticking with unrewarding and repetitive tasks. I like to be in on the beginning of a project, during the planning phase, when there may be many interesting options to consider. When I have exhausted my interest in something, it is difficult for me to stay with it because I want to move on to the next thing that has captured my interest. If something gets me down, I prefer to shift my attention to more pleasant ideas. I believe people are entitled to an enjoyable life. All right, here comes the last one. And by your account, that should be I. Oh, yep. Oh, goodness. So we're still on track. Yep. Oh, fuck. All right, that's fine. So that's fine. And top top three are all that matter, right? Yeah, just I mean top three. We okay. can talk about the others, but as long as you know which top three and kind of which one really stands out above the others, you should be fine. Okay. Okay. All right, that's fine. Because I have two uh I have two was it? I'm missing I'm missing an eight, but that's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sensitive person with intense feelings. I often feel misunderstood and lonely because I feel different from everyone else. My behavior can appear like drama to others, and I have been criticized for being overly sensitive and over-amplifying my feelings. What is really going on inside is my longing for both emotional connection and a deeply felt experience of relationship. I have difficulty fully appreciating present relationships because of my tendency to want what I can't have and to disdain what I do have. The search for emotional connection has been with me all my life. The absence of emotional connection has led to melancholy and depression. I sometimes wonder why other people seem to have more than I do, better relationships and happier lives. I have a refined sense of aesthetics, and I experience a rich world of emotions and meanings. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's tough. So I can tell you which ones definitely... I'm most likely not going with, and that's E. Uh, let me just go and delete that. I'm going to delete them as we go. Uh, e, D, um, there are 
Uh, B. Okay. Um. And then, I mean, the, like, there are parts of that last one that kind of makes sense, but like, um. Well, that's the, like there may be somewhere it's like one or two sentences here or there, but then the other ones where it's just like on a whole, yeah. just taking into account what uh like what on a whole they are. And if there were if okay. now kind of going through and being this refined list, if there's other ones you want me to reread, that's fine too. All right, so my top three um are G. G is number one, A is number two, and I think F. I have F at number three. Okay. I think those, I think that's right. Okay. Um, so based on this, um, we've got, let's see. So we've got that one. We've got this one. And I, I don't want to read all of the key here to have people map mm-hmm. it so that they can check it out, but we'll, uh, we'll go with some of the, with some of these numbers here. Um, so let's go with this one first. Um, so as, as I said, they end up going numbers one through nine. Um, each of the numbers mm-hmm. have a different name or kind of a super type uh, um, associated with them, um, which is interesting based off of your, your reaction here. Um, you did not end up in your top three with the type here called the mediator. Um, so that's interesting. Um, but with off of G, A, and F, let's go with this one first. So this is one of them. Um, let's see. The, one of the types that you got in that list was type eight, and that's called the protector. Um, these are, uh, just some of the basic principle or basic proposition of the type of principle characteristics. Um, so for the protector, the fundamental principle I lost sight of, um, everyone begins in innocence and without guile and everyone can sense truth. What I came to believe instead is it is a hard and unjust world in which the powerful take advantage of others. Innocence, the strategy I developed to cope with this belief I learned to become strong and powerful by imposing my own truth and hiding my vulnerability in order to protect myself and others and to gain others' respect. I developed a forceful energy and came to rely on my own instincts. So that is the protector. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we can go into some of the characteristics too because that has some of what you do. Um, because of the strategy, my attention is on power and control justice and injustice, deception and manipulation, all or nothing polarities, whatever demands action right now. I put my energy into control and dominance of my space and of the people and things in my space, taking direct action and facing conflict, protecting the weak and innocent, gaining respect by being strong and just. I do everything I can to avoid being weak, vulnerable, uncertain, dependent, losing the regard of people I respect. My strengths are courage, persistence, fairness, decisiveness, protectiveness, self-assertion, Intensity, friendliness, magnanimity, yet magnanimity, I don't know. (laughs) Um, It's been too long a day to try to phonetically spell that one out. Um, And the ability to energize others. So that's that's type eight. That was one of the types that you got. Um, Do you see something in there as far as it's something you would relate to? A little bit. Um, I tend to be, so I... um... I tend to have a really good sense of. It's actually it's weird. I was actually talking to my mom about this. I actually have a really good sense of 
of people and their uh, like motivations and stuff. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people. Like my mom has always said, she's like, especially like dealing with, like family members and stuff. Even since I was like really young, um, I don't connect with people that I don't believe or that I that don't feel genuine yep. to me. So um, that actually makes a lot of uh, a lot of sense. Where it's like, um, I've always had a really good sense about that, and I can always like it's point of it's uh it's really it's really funny because it's like um like there's like parts of that um i don't think i'm like super decisive but um you know generally once my mind is i'm like indecisive for a lot until i make my decision and then once whatever that's made is like i'm most likely sticking with it um so yeah so i mean yeah I can see some of that. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's the, it's interesting where some of these overlap and then based on some of the numbers that you got, some of these will be um, on the same uh, kind of side where they can kind of blend into each other. Um, Mm -hmm. So you'll probably see some more of yourself in the next two. Um, But there's, there's definitely pieces here where it makes sense for these, uh, based on this to, to kind of have it because two of these are definitely more related than, than the other two. So, um, interested to see what some of these other ones go for. Uh, let's see this one. The, the next number is the is type six. Uh, and in this book, they call that one, the loyal skeptic. Um, which, uh, based on all of our conversation, I would kind of put you uh, as a spot on for, um, based off of, of everything that, that we've talked about so far. Um, but with this one, the basic proposition goes, the fundamental principle I lost sight of is we all began with faith in ourselves, in others, and in the universe. What I came to believe instead, the world is threatening and dangerous and people just can't trust one another. Um there's a couple other pieces in here where we haven't really jumped into. So they have two different, uh, kind of stances here. Um, one called the phobic stance and the counterphobic stance. Um, so I'll just read mm-hmm. both of them and people who want to dive into the book can do that. So the strategy I developed to cope with this belief in the phobic stance is, uh, I became fearful and doubting and hence learned to be vigilant and questioning. I also learned to obey authority to escape perceived threats and dangers to gain security and to avoid hazards. Um, and so this is whether you're going into it or running from it. So the counterphobic stance is while I became fearful and doubting and hence learned to be vigilant and questioning, I also learned to defy authority to battle perceived threats and dangers and to defy security and to face hazards. So it's kind of the one where you're either running into or running away from just whether it's, you know, the fight or flight mentality. Uh, principal character, principal characteristics for this one, uh, because of this strategy, my attention is on what could go wrong or be dangerous, potential pitfalls, difficulties, incongruities, implications, inferences, and hitting meetings. I put my energy into doubting, testing, and looking for double messages, logical analysis to figure things out, playing the devil's advocate, ambivalence towards authority, showing strength, gaining security by obtaining the goodwill of others, being loyal to others, and dedicating myself to worthy causes. I do everything I can to avoid being helpless or not in control of the face of danger or harm, succumbing to danger or harm. It's good that you avoid succumbing to danger and harm. Um, Getting stuck in doubt and contrary thinking, alienating people I depend on by contradicting or opposing them. And my strengths are trustworthiness, loyalty, thoughtfulness, questioning mind, warmth, 
perseverance, responsibility, protectiveness, intuition, wit, and sensitivity. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's some of that. I love the ambivalence toward, towards authority because Loki, I do do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Loki, you do do that all the time. Um <laughs> So, like, I mean, if, if there was, like, one sentence uh, that I could pick out of all of this, it would be that one where it's just, like, meh. Like, yeah. that, that's that's you to a T. Yeah, the, uh, yeah I, I have the 80-year-old lady out getting groceries, like, mentality where it's like, I'm going to mug you. Yeah, whatever. I'm just going home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's 100% it. So, uh, I mean, that was... There's a couple ones in there that is basically like uh, number one with a bullet in my mind for you. So that was uh, that was definitely uh, uh, interesting to to see some more depth there. Um, actually, let me jump back to there because there's a couple of weird interactions with these. And so, yeah, uh, the loyal skeptic doesn't really um, you kind of bounce into some of the other numbers that kind of cross uh, this cross these where the they're arranged in kind of a. Uh, um a clockwise fashion with one starting at like one o'clock on a clock face and going around to nine at the top um and so there's like certain ways right. where you can like branch into other ones across the the circle um and then there's also like ways where you can go into like the side ones um and so so far you've got two that are next to each other and then one that's kind of across um but just based on all of this stuff so like the um the one we read first is going to be related to uh, the next one we read. Um, But then the, the next one we read was also right next to the last one we we read. So it's interesting where you're in that same space where there's um, there's kind of a collection of this, like on like that side of the circle. So these are all kind of morphic Mm -hmm. between them where you could kind of go in between depending on whether uh, you're confident or scared or stressed or whatever too. So it's interesting how, how these all play into each other. I can see that. So, because yeah, I've got the, I've got the little diagram. I was able to find that. Okay. Yeah, you pulled it up. Yeah, it's it's not hard to pull it up. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, uh, I'll give you the those numbers once once we're done, so you can kind of see what's there. Um, so the the next one is actually if you've been paying attention, I've been saying them before I read them. Uh, but the the last one you had uh, was uh, type five, which was the observer. Um, mm-hmm. And so the fundamental principle I lost sight of, there's an ample supply of all the knowledge and energy everyone needs. What I came to believe instead, the world demands too much from people and gives them too little. The strategy I developed to cope with this belief, I learned to protect myself from intrusive demands and being drained of my resources by becoming private and self-sufficient. I do this by limiting my desires and wants and by accumulating a lot of knowledge. I developed a sense of avarice, but only for things I could not do without. The principal characteristics here, because of the strategy, my attention is on the intellectual domain, facts, analysis, and compartmentalized thinking, intrusions, or demands on me. I put my energy into observing from a detached stance, learning all there is to know about a subject, thinking and analyzing in advance, dampening and reducing feelings, self-containment, withdrawing, conserving, maintaining sufficient privacy, boundaries, and limits. I do everything I can to avoid strong feelings, especially fear, intrusive or demanding people or circumstances, feelings of inadequacy and emptiness. My strengths, scholarliness, being knowledgeable, thoughtfulness, calmness in crisis, being respectful, keeping confidences, dependability, and appreciation of simplicity. Yeah, I can see that. I'm looking through some of the examples on this site that I'm on, and it just makes me giggle that... <laughs> Georgia O'Keefe. 
as far as the the <laughs> whatever I w- pers- or people or personalities that fit into certain numbers. Yeah, um, that always makes me laugh because whenever I uh, whenever I want to like say something looks like a vagina, but say it classily, <laughs> I just say it looks like a George Rocky painting. painting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah so the um, the numbers you got were a six which is the loyal skeptic an eight which is the protector and five which is the observer so if you're if you're looking at those numbers um you'll see kind of how they're across and next to each other so usually like the five and the six are uh very similar and overlap some based on some of like the core characteristics and like i said there's actually like three subtypes for each of these so there's you know technically like 27 other or there's 27 total Hmm. but this is just the coarse grain ones um so that makes it easy enough to kind of just get in the ballpark and, and go from there um so, uh, I mean, those, those are your three. So I'll, I'll read the description of, of what I am, which I, I'm not any of those three. Um, but there's like, for me, I was going through it and be like, yeah, this is okay. This is somewhat. And then I was like, oh shit, no. Yeah. This is me a hundred percent. And so that was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, first by a mile type thing. So I'll read that one while you, uh, look at over what you're doing with your knowledge of the six, eight and five. And then we can circle back and, and kind of look at that. Um, so for me, uh, I am far and away a two. Um, the two is known as the giver, um, which is the basic proposition for this one is the fundamental principle I lost sight of. Everyone's needs are equally and freely met. What I came to believe instead was to get you must give, to be loved you must be needed. The strategy I developed to cope with this belief, I learned to get my personal needs fulfilled by being needed and by giving others what I feel they need and want. And I expect they will then do the same for me. I developed feelings of pride in being indispensable. The principal characteristics for a two, because of the strategy, my attention is on the needs and wants of others, especially if people I care about and would like to have care about me. Relationships, the moment-to-moment feelings and emotions of others. I put my energy into sensing the emotional needs of others and doing what pleases them, feeling good about being able to meet others' needs so well, creating good feelings in others, maintaining others' acceptance and approval, romantic attachment. I do everything I can to avoid disappointing others, feeling rejected or unappreciated, dependence on others. My strengths, being giving and helpful, being generous, sensitivity to the feelings of others, being supportive, being appreciative, being romantic, high energy, exuberance, and expressiveness. So would you like to... I was going to say, I I think if you juxtapose like the first couple of our episodes, you probably Mm -hmm. see like me being a two in there a hundred percent and like all of the, the kind of the three that you just, that we talked about for you coming out in those episodes as well. Um, just because I, when I was thinking about doing this, that I just remember a couple of the conversations that we had first on there um, as far as, you know, why we wanted to start the podcast, what we were doing, where we were coming from and some of the intentions mm-hmm. and they line up for me. And I, I remember the specific conversations we were having with um, things we said for that and kind of lining up with the two here um, and just some of the, the kind of the, again, like the loyal skeptic and the ambivalence to authority and, and some of that stuff uh, in the conversations that, that uh, we've had in the comments you've made. So it, it's been interesting to, to put all of that together. Okay. So, Warner Horzog, this is gonna, this I swear to God, this is relevant. Warner Horzog is the na- the documentary guy, right? Who kind of talks like this? Is that right? Uh, I believe so. Okay, so that's funny. So one of the famous fives, 
was a uh, was Warner Herzog. And one of the famous twos that they list have an example here is Timothy Treadwell, which I don't know if you've seen Grizzly Man, but he is the gentleman that gets eaten by the uh. <laughs> <laughs> Warner Herzog is the gentleman who narrates I don't <laughs> and interviews all the people to see why the man was eaten by the bear in Alaska. <laughs> That is that is that is such perfect placement, though. That's that's you don't get any better than that. Yeah, your 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 famous twos are all exciting. Um, You get uh, uh, Stevie Wonder. (laughs) Like I would just say, my personal heroes: Nancy Reagan, Stevie Wonder, (laughs) and Monica Lewinsky. (laughs) That's that's. I I wonder how they were. I, I don't know if that is just like forecasting or mapping for some of those. I, I mean, I don't know how much, uh, you know, based on uh, what you would need to assess that if uh, Monica Lewinsky has either come out and said that, or if they're doing that from uh, a number of, uh, of interesting pieces for that um, compared to, think, to some of the other people. But I think they're 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 it's basically forecasted because one of your other famous twos is damn it Jim I'm a doctor nice so uh, I don't know I don't know if our audience base are actually tr- uh, Doctor McCoy Bones Bones from Star Trek I'm, I'm more of a next gen guy myself I mean you got Patrick Stewart. LeVar Burton and Whoopi Goldberg. So, you know. Which which number was that? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, was, uh, oh as far yeah, as Next Generation. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was talking about Star Trek. I, I don't know why I like Next I don't even like any of that nonsense. I just really like Next Generation for some reason. I think it's because I, I grew up when it was in, like, super syndication. Yep, every weekend so, on uh, Saturday afternoon, it was running on Fox 45. I was watching it left and right. Yep. After TJ, TGIF, it was Next Gen. God, I almost threw up at how 90s that sentence was. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's been interesting to uh, to talk about this because, again, like I can refer to myself as a two and kind of see a lot of the reasons why I do things. And even like a lot, like I said, a lot of mm-hmm. things we've talked about here um, and just intentions and reasons for doing things uh, kind of come straight out of that. And then as like you listen to more and more stuff, um, there's a couple other podcasts I've been listening to that I, I've been binge listening to um, for uh, the on the Enneagram and kind of listening to people that are in similar areas, um, as well as people that are, um, or similar numbers and, and types versus other, other types, uh, and talking to people who are just as into it. And I have, uh, a friend, um, who's also a really big two. Um, so we basically just like lob, uh, twos back and forth. And actually, uh, Amanda is a two as well. Uh, so it's interesting where we're just, you know, two peas in a pod, uh, pun intended. Um, and so it's interesting to now have that kind of uh, information when you look at things that, you know, maybe giving you a hard time, how you approach a situation, what would you do differently if you want to go into a situation? Like, what are your strengths based on knowing that? Um, and so that there, there's a lot here where this is obviously, you know, a crash course, 40 minutes on a podcast where you're not going to, you know, know the end all be all thing. Um, so the 
there's plenty of podcasts. Uh, the the best one I've been listening to lately is called Typology. I'll link to it in the the show notes. Um, but uh, there's a lot there where like as the more and more like you start going into, it, you're like, holy shit, this is amazing. And for me, it's been much more. It's it's been a higher fidelity uh, to the the characteristics and the um, the personality traits than anything that like I ever did for the Myers Briggs. Um, Mm-hmm. Whereas the, you know, the Myers Briggs kind of had a pseudo resurgence a couple of years ago. Um, and so yeah. everything was uh, a Facebook test where like it was all the different characters from everything. Um, and so depending oh, on like what type yeah. you were, like they, they do that a lot with a lot of the Dungeons and Dragons with, you know, the lawful good, chaotic, mm-hmm. neutral, all that bullshit. Um, but then they also have uh, like they were they were mapping all the characters of, you know, Star Wars to the different um Yep. to all the different characters or to all the different uh, Myers-Briggs outcomes. I can't remember which one it was. I, I was either Yoda or Leia in when I took that test on Facebook. Um, I didn't do like every single fandom since they were all the same like questions. Um, but uh, this one is, is something for me where uh, it's much, it, it's easier because there's only nine types as opposed to uh, 16 types for mm-hmm. uh, Myers-Briggs, um, at least, su- you know, super types. Uh, so it makes it easy to figure out and it's easy to identify with people. And then knowing like how you interact with other people uh, is interesting. Mm-hmm. And typology does a good job of now that you have that information, what are you doing to, to then kind of further yourself and kind of understand how to, to work with it and go from there. So um, it, it was uh, interesting where, uh, I, I I didn't look at all of the types and kind of assess where I thought you'd end up. Um, but look, but number six was what I thought would be in your top three. So I was, uh, I was happy to see, uh, I, I at least kind of pseudo uh, psychoanalyzed you correctly beforehand. Yeah. So you were two and then, Oh my God. And then you've only read one, right? For years. Or did you do two? Uh, I just I I only did one for me. I mean I okay. I don't remember. Do I have the? Let me see. Because when I did it, I put a note in my phone um, okay. and I rank them. Um, and I don't so, know if I have all of them here. Let me see. Yeah. So for the Myers Brig, I am definitely an I like. I've taken it several times within the last like three or four years, and I've gotten INFPT like all the times and I fit that pretty, I feel like that's, I mean, generally with this idea of all that stuff, it's kind of sort of like a cold, cold, cold read or whatever, but it's always fun to see what part of the generic thing you fall in. Mm -hmm. Um, I do fit that one pretty much, you know, um, there's a lot of that stuff that I fall into. And what's actually really funny is that one of the famous examples on the, the test that they use for fictitious INFPTs is Fox Mulder. And once again, in the investigator, um, I believe mean, it's the, it's in the investigator. One of the, where'd it go? Was it this one? Yeah. In the investigator, one of the people that they give is Fox Mulder. So there's two things happening here. A, there's a God and he's mocking me <laughs> because I fight. So my mom, so one of the things we've, we've never actually talked about is my mom believes hard in the supernatural. Okay. Like ESP. So part of the reason, like part of the reason I'm, I've never been so big into horror and everything um, 
or any of that like creepy, creepy stuff is because that's what my mom was like really into when I was growing up. So aliens, Bigfoot, this uh, ghost, psychics, like, like you could watch an episode of Stranger Than Fiction or Beyond Belief Fact or Fiction, and she would be like, "Well, that's all just real." i love my mom obviously but like it would always just be like well that's that's everything (laughs) like like, well which one of these is fake because all of those things are real so um yeah so like she's always in that so i think that's like god's way of being like maybe there are aliens because like it's one of the things we like it's one of the things she's like you know she's believed she i we haven't talked about this before but um, I'm generally a doubting Thomas when it comes to the supernatural and paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, um, you know, it's weird because like sometimes you can like, you know, sometimes in certain moments you can like kind of tap into like, you know, you know, like a heightened state or whatever and feel things that you normally don't feel, but like, you know, um, yeah, like, I don't believe, like, I don't believe there are aliens, you know, um, because like, if there were aliens, they would have found us by now and we, we would not be doing a podcast. We'd probably be building more pyramids, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, to quote, to quote the Simpsons. Uh, don't blame me. I voted for kudos. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, but like, you know, stuff like that or like, you know, the like all the ideas of like creepy feelings and supernatural experiences are basically just kind of like the equivalence of or it's basically your body realizing that you're probably not in a safe place anyway, not because you're in danger by the supernatural, but because I don't know, maybe you're in a haunted cave with like really sharp looking stalagmites, you know, mm-hmm. like <laughs> fucking <laughs> like, Oh gee whiz, maybe I shouldn't be here. And then like, you feel that and you feel like that your body's flight of flight kick in. And then, you know, fucking Johnny down the street goes, Oh, this cave just must be haunted. You know, like, I don't know. I think there's an explanation for everything, but I guarantee, I guarantee that's probably God just mocking me. Like, there are aliens, dipshit. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to keep comparing you with these, these, these personality tests over and over again to the one guy who's famously known for believing in aliens outside of the, uh, what is it? The history channel guy. Uh, yeah. Aliens, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or aliens, man. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's where, like, it's usually, like, I give it about 30 seconds, and if they're not talking about aliens on History Channel, I move on. <laughs> so that's always really funny to me. And I found this site. It'll be interesting. I found this Anagram Institute site. Let me see which sites. Um... I have too much crap on my desk. I can't see my keyboard that I'm actually typing. Um, I think that may be one of the ones. So yeah, so Enneagram Institute is one. Um, that's one where I, I think that they, when you take the test, they want you to give an email. Uh, or no, that one's their. That one is the, for. That they one. want you to buy a code. Yeah. 
Um, let's see if we do Testia. Uh, eclecticenergies.com has uh, a couple of different Enneagram tests where one is a classical Enneagram test um, and then they have one with what they call the Enneagram test with instinctional subvariants. Um, so the either one of those, I've gotten both the same results there. Um, uh, but there's there's a good number of these that are all uh, all referenceable, um, and then they have a, a number of books that are linked on that one. So most of the the ones that uh, the uh, online tests that, that folks have done and have been pretty uh, confident in have been eclectic energy. So that's E C L E C T I C E N E R G I E S dot com, and I'll definitely link to that one in in the show notes. Um, okay, so this one's set up differently. I got that. So, because on this one, it asks you basically. It'll be interesting to see if it's the same as uh, if it's the same. I wonder how long this is. Yeah, so this one ends up being um, fourteen pages. Okay, maybe we'll do a recap for next yeah. episode. <laughs> So it ends up being one where it's more along the lines of all of the other tests that are out there. And so that's where it's interesting to get the different types of tests that, that are using different forms of questioning to get you into this. Um, and so, uh, I mean, it's something where like you can do this and be like, oh, I think I'm this area. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, like I, I did this and um, uh, I was like, I'm a two. So I was like, I was in one of my therapy sessions. I was like, I'm sure you know about the Enneagram. And, um, and I was like, so I'm a two. She's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, I'm glad we just got that off the table. And I, I, you know, uh, just by looking at this book, I was able to self-assess myself spot on. Um, and then, you know, we moved on from there. Um, but then other people are like, well, I feel like this one at times or this one at other times. And people are like, well, yeah, you move in between them. So, I mean, it just depends on like whether the, any, the eclectic energies test has like, you answer like all these questions and like, no, partly or yes. And then obviously it's like kind of like a spider heat map uh graph um depending on, on where you sit versus just like yeah just like a course course grain ranking of stuff um so it's it's not too bad one way or another um but yeah so if you want to go ahead and, and do this and then we can kind of come back and and re uh and and kind of see where you come back to this at uh next week uh in comparison to your uh, course grain uh six eight and five uh kind of uh, off the cuff uh, uh assertion from from the book that'd be interesting yeah, no, it's really it's uh it's exciting. I always like these things. I've got tomorrow off anyway, so I mean, I should probably be learning Japanese to be honest. But uh... <laughs> this will help you learn <laughs> been, more about yourself, so... so you can then, when you make the move, you know how to handle yourself there. Yeah, no, I'm just so uh, I'm just I'm just so excited. People tell me I apologize too much, so I'm just so excited to go to a country where all they do is apologize all the time. That's not Canada. So I'm really excited. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, <laughs> I expect you to, to go the other way of that. And basically like everybody tells you to apologize too much. So now you're just gonna be like, Oh, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just going to leave the country. <laughs> like I apologize. Sorry. I obviously don't fit in here. So I'll just go to another country. Is there any uh, time frame that you're looking for towards, uh, towards Japan yet? Uh, so I'm taking my tentative trip. Oh, so yeah. So, um, I have actually have, it's funny because one of my, one of my fellow queenies, um, I hate that we call ourselves that for Queens at, at <laughs> Queens university, um, uh, actually is moving over in Japan to Japan in April. Um, 
basically kind of doing the same thing that I was kind of planning on doing. So my tentative trip right now, um, I'm going to see if I can find a, uh, uh, I have money saved up for the ticket and everything. Um, so I'm basically all I have left would be basically housing, save some money for housing and then spending money when I'm over there. Um, but what I want to do is I want to, I've actually been looking at travel credit cards to see if I can get some sweet bonuses. Mm -hmm. Um, but my tentative trip is for November, um, probably the beginning of November. Um, that's when my PTO is fully vested. Um, I applied to a residency. Uh, we'll see if I get in. It's called the watering hole. I don't know. I don't know if I'll, I don't honestly don't know if I'll go cause it's kind of expensive and, um, I'm not sure they haven't really done a good job of selling me on it mm -hmm. because so I like basically went through and applied for it and, um, like I, you have to, obviously you pay for the application process for this just for someone to basically go, Oh, you're probably not good enough for this. Thanks, Scott Vacanum. Mm -hmm. um, fucking take my $100 and don't even send me anything besides a canned response. Um, in case you're listening, then I think, okay, well, I would say this regardless. Their program's important. Uh, I just wish I was good enough to get in. Um, but, like, they, so I, like, basically barely made the deadline, and then they pushed the deadline for it by two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, which basically just means like me and one other dude applied and they're like, ugh, <laughs> like not these people. Um, but yeah, so, um, you know, there'll be, that's, you know, kind of weighing in that cause that's actually between the 26th and the first of next the end of the year, beginning of the year. Okay. Um, so like, that's all like pop, 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 um, you know, really close together, uh, with my trip. Um, and then basically when I come back, I can either decide if a, um, I basically refer to this trip that I'm taking when I like talk about it to a lot of folks is it's basically my free month of Netflix to see if I like, if I like Japan enough to basically go over there or live there. Yep. Um, and that's basically the equivalent of it. So when I come back, I can either see a, do I want to go back? And if I do want to go back, I can start applying for work immediately and I'll probably have something within a certain time frame. So I can immediately, like I'll have something, I'll definitely be, I'll definitely be there by the Olympics in 2020 and I'll probably be there. Um, I'll probably be there um, most likely around when their school year starts. So, um, either sometime I'd probably either go at the end of the year or beginning or end of their school year or the beginning of the school year. Um, so yeah, so, um, it, it's, it's interesting. It's getting closer. Um, it's still kind of scary. Um, I've just been thinking about it, but that's kind of the, the tentative plan. Uh, I've been looking at flights a lot more lately because, uh, I have to, my, either it's going to be this month or next month I get my passport. So. Cool. Um, because yeah, apparently you don't have to wait six months anymore to get your passport. So, well, that, that was a, a lot more uh, reading this week than I expected to for, from me. So that was, uh, now I can, <laughs> uh, go, uh, go back to my, uh, 
hidey hole of shame for uh, not needing to or not not uh, being able to read in uh, in public settings and or at least I I tried to slow it down a little bit more than I usually do so we'll, we'll see how it comes out on, on the other end uh, but depending on if people listen to it sped up anyway like I do where I listen to all podcasts at you know 25% faster anyway it doesn't really matter so we'll see <laughs> if it makes you feel any better for my thesis reading not to get how many how many MFA references can I make in this one podcast today? Um, in my thesis reading, we had a so we had a fifteen minute we had a fifteen minute block that was assigned to us to read. Um, <laughs> apparently, I must have been one of the few people ever in history to go. Do we have to use the full uh, fifteen minutes? <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> and they're like, no. I'm like, great. In twelve minutes. So my thesis was 40 pages, 30, 40 poems, right? For some of you that have seen my poems, they're basically, you could fit them on site of Snapple and site and Snapple caps and water bottle labels <laughs> without like, you know, they're, they're short. So side note interjection, we made barbecue chicken tonight in the crock pot. So I just opened the barbecue thing and put it in there. The barbecue sauce that we got basically had like a Snapple fact under the lid of the barbecue sauce. I Ooh. I didn't. That was the first time I'd ever seen that. So now everybody's getting on, on that gig from Snapple. So it was, that was just interesting. But uh, you can <laughs> you can go on now. I see. Maybe they'll be coming for my crappy poems soon. <laughs> um, yeah, and if you've seen them, they're all relatively short. They're usually realistically like one or two sentences broken over a couple different stanzas. Um, I read. 14 poems. I was timing it out. I get again. I had read 14 poems in like 10 minutes. And I was like, out loud reciting them. And I was like, fuck, I'm not going to go up there and read my entire thesis. (laughs) So I literally was like, all right, we have X amount of time of filler, make a couple jokes. (laughs) Because this is a thing. So, this will probably be an entirely another topic. Um, are you familiar with the term poet's voice? Uh, I could be. Okay. If you've ever, you'll, as soon as I describe it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever been to a reading or anything or seen someone read anything, it's the certain way that they approach how they read it. So, um, and it's this really flowery kind of pace that's over slowed. Like here, I'll give you an example using this this little bit of this test. Yeah, I, have. I mean, just kind of making it more yeah. overt and more of a um, drawn out uh, performance reading as opposed it's to contemporary pace or anything. It. Yeah, and it ends up hurting the work where they're like, "I'm always aware of what needs to be corrected. It is important for me that I must be admired by others." It's ironic that I'm <laughs> reading these sentences while trying, like, giving an example of that voice. And many people do admire me. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's that kind of like weird pacing. I don't read like that when I read when I read poems. I just read them because all my poems, I tr- strive for intensity and urgency in my poems. So if it's something urgent, it needs to be said quickly. So I don't read. I don't read like that. So, you know, yeah, it's easy for people to read eight fucking poems in 15 minutes when Oh, how the dandelions fell on the sidewalk <laughs> when you're like, well, no shit, man. Like, like, yo, it's cheating. Like, um, so yeah, so that's a whole thing. And I actually spent like, in, like a few hours 
a, a couple weeks ago, actually more than a few hours, like probably like two days, just researching poet voice and then recording myself reading things to see how fast or to see if I did that. And it was just pretty funny. Um, so yes, no. So I say, don't, don't worry about reading anything fast. That's obviously that's how normal people do it. Yeah, exactly. But... <laughs> and this isn't a Toastmaster presentation either. So I don't have to worry about that. Please listen carefully. <laughs>